At the turn of the century, the world's most distinguished astronomer was certain that Mars had canals. Sir Percival Lowell, esteemed for his study of the solar system, had a particular fascination with the red planet. In 1877, Lowell heard that an Italian astronomer had seen straight lines crisscrossing the Martian surface. And so Lowell spent some 15 years squinting into the eyepiece of his giant telescope in Flagstaff, Arizona, mapping the canals he saw. He was convinced the canals were proof of intelligent life on Mars. And he theorized that some advanced but desperate culture had built the canals to tap into the polar ice caps, which was the last source of water on the planet. Lowell's observations excited the public. But the scientific community was skeptical, as other astronomers could not see these canals. And if there were canals, few believed that they were as extensive as Lowell had claimed. Now, of course, things are different today. Space probes have orbited Mars and even landed on its surface. The entire planet has been mapped. And no one has seen a canal. So how could Lowell have seen so much that wasn't there? It's hard to say, but maybe he wanted to see the canals so badly that he did. Over and over again. Or it could be that he suffered from a rare eye disease that made him see the blood vessels in his own eyes. Essentially, the Martian canals he saw were nothing more than the bulging veins in his eyeballs. It's easy for us to see things that are not there. Many times we simply see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear. We believe what we want to believe, and we become deceived. 
deception. That was a real concern for the Apostle John, wrapped up in a warning to the early Christians. Christians without a Bible like you and me. Being visited by false preachers and teachers and missionaries who claimed to speak for God. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first six verses. 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now before we dive into this passage, I want to make a quick observation. Last week, John's focus was on loving one another. Remember that? Loving one. In fact, much of chapter 3 is devoted to the subject of our love for our Christian brothers and sisters. And after the first six verses of chapter 4, which I just read, John once again returns back to the subject of love. Which prompts a question. Why would John sandwich a warning about deception between his writings about love for one another? Well, let me answer that question with a question. 
Is there any other topic more important, more appealing, and more distorted than the topic of love? John knew these false preachers and teachers and missionaries sought out their followers in the name of love. At least their version of it. And with arms open wide, they offered their followers a sense of community and a sense of belonging. And people thought, hey, they must be of God. They appeared loving on the outside when in fact they were nothing more than wolves in sheep's clothing who sought out their own personal gain and the favor of men. For these early Christians, and for us as well, John is saying we are to be people of faith. We are to be people of faith, but we should not believe everything we see and hear. Listen to what John says beginning with verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. According to John, and this is going to sound really odd, every Christian is also called to be an unbeliever. I told you it would sound odd. Every Christian is also called to be an unbeliever. We talk so much about being people of faith, and rightly so. But there is a time when unbelief is absolutely necessary. For the very same scriptures which encourage us to believe also tell us not to believe. Or said in another way, if we are going to accept the truth, we need to detect and reject the lies. Does that make sense? That's what I do. (laughs) If you recall from last week, John told us that the Holy Spirit gives us confidence that God abides in us and we abide in Him. But John also knows that there are other spirits. 
Spirits in the unseen world. Spirits of deception who inspire and influence people, religious people, with lies and spiritual nonsense. And therefore, John tells us that we are to test the spirits to see whether they are from God or not. John does not want us to be deceived. And therefore, we must not believe everything we see and hear. We shouldn't be drawn to people who claim to speak for God merely because they are smooth talkers, slick dressers, and they are able to attract large crowds. On top of that, we are never to assume that every spiritual experience And every demonstration of spiritual power is from God. Years ago, back in the early 80s, I was stationed at the Coast Guard Air Station in Warrington, Oregon, which is near Astoria. And Trish and I attended a a small Baptist church in Astoria. And one Sunday, two women approached me and described an experience they had just had. They explained an evangelist came to town holding services in a local auditorium. Where at the end of the service, the evangelist gave an invitation to receive a fuller experience of the Holy Spirit. These two gals walked up front to the stage during the invitation And this evangelist walked down to them. She touched them on the forehead and both of them fell backwards unconscious into the waiting arms of men who were standing behind them. I told them I had heard of this. The charismatics call this being slain in the spirit. And they claim that in this Event, we'll call it an event. In this event, people can experience feelings of peace and relaxation and religious ecstasy. Well, both of them told me that what they experienced was not peace and relaxation or ecstasy. Instead, it was nothing but fear and confusion. They told me this evangelist was still in town. She had a service scheduled for the following night. And they suggested I go to check her out. Well, as a fairly new believer, 
and curiosity got the best of me, I went to the service the following night. The large auditorium was packed with people. And according to the bulletin, she was to preach on demonic activity. I'm in the very back row, because I'm a Baptist. But I also want to see everything going on. And before the service begins, I am praying that God would protect me. In fact, I'm praying for protection all throughout the service. And then she gives the invitation, and from the back, I am the very first one up, standing in front of the stage. Again, I am praying the whole time. Lord, if this is of you, then do with me whatever you want. But if this is not of you, then protect me. Help me to stand. I don't want to fall. So I'm standing up at the front facing the stage. I'm in the center. And other people start coming in as well on either side of me. And we got this long, straight line of people all facing this evangelist who's on the stage. You get the picture? And so she comes off the stage and she starts at the far right of me. And I'm watching. And she touches people on the forehead and they fall back into the arms of waiting men. One by one. And she draws closer to me, closer and closer. I'm praying harder and harder. Lord, if this is of you, do what you want. Just make sure someone's going to catch me. But if this is not of you, let me stand. I don't want to fall. I'm praying that the whole time as people are dropping like flies one by one. And before I know it, she's standing in front of me. You laugh now. Yeah. She, she raises her hand to touch me. I don't know how to describe it other than this. As she touches me on the forehead, it's as if she received an electrical shock. She drew, she drew her hand back. It was just like, like, like that. I look at her, and she looks at me. And then she turns away and continues down one by one, and they're just dropping like flies. And when it's all said and done, there I am, standing up there all alone. Let me say, 
That was probably a stupid move on my part as a fairly new believer. I will admit that. But with that said, we can't assume that every spiritual experience or every demonstration of spiritual power is actually from God. Consider what was said to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. You, you folks know this passage. I have shared it with you many times. But this time, listen carefully to what these people did. Okay? Verse 21. This is Jesus talking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Now listen to this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, preach, teach in your name? And in your name, cast out demons? And in your name, perform what? Many miracles? And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus talking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What did they do? They cast out demons. They performed miracles. And yet Jesus says, I don't know them. I don't know them. Meaning, they are not from God, nor was their spiritual power. Now here's the hard part. These false preachers and teachers and missionaries People who may have demonstrated spiritual power don't walk around with name tags which read, Hi, I don't really know God, I'm a deceiver. That's why Jesus tells us, John tells us, excuse me, to test those who preach and teach to us. And thank God there is an easier way than standing in front of a stage wondering if you're going to pass out if someone touches you on the forehead. So beginning with verse 2, John says, here's how we test what we see and hear. By this, you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. Now, keeping this in context, if you remember, the Gnostics had crept into the early church and they said that Jesus, being God, could not also be a man because God could have no partnership with matter, with flesh and blood, which they considered to be evil. They had a hard time believing that Jesus was a real man. Instead, they taught that Jesus was only a spiritual being like a phantom or an apparition, denying that he was God in the flesh. And the problem with this teaching was that it undermined a core truth of the gospel, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about it. If Jesus did not have a real physical body. Think about this. If he did not have a real physical body, then he did not die. And his suffering on the cross was merely an illusion. If Jesus did not have a real physical body, then how could he have risen bodily from the dead? And without the actual death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no salvation for you and me. So in a nutshell, John is saying this, the right teaching about Jesus is the test. That's the test. For if we don't get Jesus right, nothing else will be right. Jesus is the key. He has to be. He is the central focus and the central figure of the Word of God. And if preachers and teachers and missionaries don't agree with God concerning His Son in both the way they talk and in the way they walk, they have failed the test. And they do not know God. Now, some today would call this narrow-minded. And some would say, I'm not being politically correct. But I would rather be biblically correct than politically correct. 
Those who do not see Jesus according to the standard of God's word are inspired and influenced and motivated by a spirit of deception, the spirit of the Antichrist, a spirit that was already at work in the early church and is working overtime today. One religious researcher estimates there are over 4,000 religions and cults in our our world today. And many of them name the name of Jesus. But a wrong Jesus. For example, the Mormons talk about Jesus, but to them, he is the brother of Lucifer. I'm not sure most Mormons even know that. He is the brother of Lucifer. They teach that Jesus is the first created spiritual child. The result of a union between God the Father and one of his wives. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is actually Michael, the archangel. Another created being who became a man. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, but not God. Christian science teaches that Jesus was simply a man in tune with his divine consciousness. Unitarians believe that Jesus was a good man who was mistakenly treated as God by his followers. Now, just to be fair, just to be fair, I can't ignore what is happening within the Christian community these days. In a survey taken last year, last year, by a research group called Probe Ministries, more than, listen to this, more than 60%, that's a six and a zero, more than 60% of professing Christians, they surveyed between the age, in America, between the ages of 18 and 39, believe that Jesus is not the only way to salvation. Contrary to the word of God. That's a scary thing to think about because 
each generation of believers has the responsibility of passing down their faith to the next. But we are living in a world where Christianity is only tolerated if it is viewed as simply being another path of spirituality. And unfortunately, many professing Christians have adopted that exact same view. Yes, they may be spiritual, but they are not biblical, and there is a difference. So here's the bottom line. Any spiritual leader or any religious group that attempts to reinvent, redefine, or to reimagine Jesus contrary to the Word of God, bringing discredit to His deity or diminishing His humanity is not from God. And let me tell you this, and hear this. The devil doesn't worry one single bit if you claim to know Jesus, to love Jesus, or to pray to Jesus, as long as he is the wrong Jesus. For as long as we get Jesus wrong, nothing else will be right. Now, in these next few verses, John wraps up his warning with both a, uh, both a note of encouragement and a call to discernment. Beginning with verse 4, John says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of Error. In this passage, John first encourages his readers. He knows they are genuine believers. He says, you are children of God. And he also says they have overcome the deceivers in this world. And how did that happen? Was there any mention of superior intelligence or, a, or deep theological knowledge? Was there any reference to in-depth training on the cults? Was there talk of clever arguments we're to make to the lies of false teachers? No. 
John said they overcome because they are born of God and the Spirit of God lives in them. The Holy Spirit is greater than the deceptive spirits in this world. And every true believer owes their understanding of God to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. If we stand with Jesus, it is because the Holy Spirit is greater than all other spiritual forces, both in this world and in the unseen world, who seek to deceive us. Dean Neferatos was riding the number 22 Chicago Transit Authority bus. The bus was filled with dozing office workers, restless punkers, and affluent shoppers. At the Clark and Webster bus stop, Two men and a woman climbed in. The driver, a seasoned veteran, immediately called out, Everybody watch your valuables. Pickpockets are on board. Women clutched their purses tightly. Men put their hands on their wallets. All eyes were fixed on the trio who looking insulted and harassed, didn't even break stride as they exited out the other side of the bus. <laughs> Just as the seasoned bus driver warned the passages, so the Holy Spirit warns us. As we walk in the Spirit and walk in obedience, He guides us. He keeps us straight. He prods our hearts to discern what is true and what is false. To protect us from spiritual pickpockets, He reveals the truth found in God's Word. And He prompts us to ask questions like, What are they saying about Jesus? Is it consistent with Scripture? How do they live their lives? Do they obey God? Do they love their Christian brothers and sisters? Does it show? And lastly, who is following them? John said... That those of the world, those who prescribe to the system of the world, listen to the false preachers and teachers and missionaries, and this should not be any surprise to any of us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. For the time will come when they, referring to people, will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth 
and will turn aside to miss. Paul is talking about us. That's where we are right now. Just look around. Just watch television. We are in the last days and there are false preachers and teachers who are telling the people of the world exactly what they want to hear. Tickling their ears, as Paul described. Their services are entertaining. Their ministries are massive. Their buildings are packed. They promise that God will help them fulfill their own desires. And of course, to remain popular, they offend no one. That means they can't say Jesus is the only way. The only name given under heaven by which men may be saved. They can't call sin a sin. They can't mention judgment by a holy God. And they must remain silent when it comes to eternal damnation. So people swallow what they have to say without question because it makes them feel good about themselves. People can believe what they want to believe and they can live their lives the way they want to. And if they are challenged by true believers, they rise up and they call us narrow-minded, divisive, bigoted, mean-spirited, and hateful. If this were a popularity contest, Christians would lose every single time. But this is not a popularity contest. It is a spiritual conflict, a battle. And we are told, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Now John concludes with verse 6 by telling us that the apostles are from God. Sent by God. Entrusted by God with the authority to lay the foundation of the church through their teaching about Jesus Christ. And John says that those who know God will listen to them. Today we have their inspired teaching recorded for us in the Bible. Our standard by which we can rightly discern truth from a lie. Yes, we are to be people of faith. But with that said, we must also be unbelievers. We must not believe everything we see and hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth found in your word. Thank you for making it clear to us 
And Lord, I pray that you would help us to get Jesus right. Allow us never to drift away, to veer off. I pray, Lord God, that Jesus would be our absolute everything and we would get him right. Father, give us clarity. Give us a hunger and a desire to be in your word, the standard of truth and error. And Father, I will admit it's tempting to follow the ways of this world and to listen to those who make us feel good. But Father, give us a determination to stick to the truth of your word. May you be honored and glorified. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully you can see this morning why I I chose Acts chapter 17 uh, to read to you this morning about the Bereans. How they studied the Word. How they searched it out diligently. We have to. For if we don't, like so many others, we can find ourselves being deceived, believing a lie. I am a fallible man. Right? You know that. I am a fallible man. I make mistakes. I get things wrong. And even when I do appear, you still have to check it out for yourself. I intentionally would not look in this meeting. I, I don't want to mislead and deceive anybody. That's my intention. I don't want to do that. But sometimes I could make a mistake. I may interpret a passage correctly. I might see a verse differently. I might even hear wrong. What? Don't just swallow what I'm giving you. Check it out for yourself. That's, that's what I want. I want you to check it out for yourself. I feel good about it. Thank you for coming this morning. I know there are many who are sick. That stuff's going on now. I thank you for being here. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He says, contrary to popular teaching, he says, 
Jesus Christ is your Lord and says that I would love to introduce you to him. Maybe you want to make Amway Baptist Church your home church. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. Or maybe you think prayer. I would love to pray for you. How the Lord moved you this morning. I just pray you're still going to be coming. You're still going to be coming. 